eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night. Happy Halloween, by the way. October 31st, year of our Lord, 2021. Jam packed. We have got rapid reaction all over the place from week nine. High atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee, fresh out of East Lansing yesterday. Got a lot of stories to tell. Uh, some of them will make it into the night show. A vast majority of them will have to wait until the Tuesday morning Late Kick Extra podcast. But boy, what a show we have tonight. In advance of the World Series, it is why we're doing the show a little bit early. Because again, we run things around here and it took us a little while to remember, but we do have the flexibility when need be to move the show. We don't do it for the Academy Awards. We don't do it for the Grammys, but we will do it when the Braves can win a World Series for the first time since we had bedwetting issues all the way back in 1995. And even though I was 10 years old in 1995, I still have bedwetting issues. It's another story for another day. But I think it's brave of me to even admit that much. Colin, would you agree? Yes, I agree. We have got wall-to-wall reaction. So I was at Michigan, Michigan State yesterday. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. And you know it is because I said it thrice, not just once. We're going to talk about that one in a lot of detail. We're going to talk about Georgia, Florida. We will talk about Penn State, Ohio State. Had a great setup on the flight home last night. Those of you following on Instagram saw it. Had the Braves in the central monitor. Had Ohio State, Penn State over on one monitor. Had Auburn, Ole Miss over on the other monitor. And had a whole row to myself. So thanks to the folks at Delta for hooking me up, even though I don't really think that was planned, but thank you for that. So we're going to talk about that. We will talk about the Renaissance Tour. We have a new announcement to make there. We have got four early best bets. Some things are happening with the Ramen Noodle Express. They're going to change this week, so I'm going to explain that to you momentarily. Anyway, I'm saying all that to say we got a loaded show. Thank you so much for joining. If you are not already, make sure you are subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. There are some things even in addition to this show coming a little bit later on this fall slash winter that you're going to want to make sure you're tuned in for. So make sure you subscribe there. We just topped 70,000. They said it couldn't be done. And lo and behold, we did it. So at Late Kick Josh, if you were following yesterday slash today, you saw what I think probably is the best series of Instagram story-based content items that I could ever put out. I had you on the ground with me right there on the sideline in the tunnel and everywhere in between up in East Lansing. What a show yesterday. That was the stop for the Late Kick Renaissance Tour Week 9. Right now, before we even dive into tonight's show, I am telling you where we're going for Week 10. Uh, It was a slate that I had to wait until late in the evening to get our friend Jim, the animator, to make up the design for us on because I did not know where we were going to go because yesterday's games had a heavy, heavy impact on the outcome. So 
Where are we headed? Well, the Late Kick Renaissance Tour, fresh off a trip from East Lansing, Michigan, not Eastern Lansing, I said Eastern Carolina last week. Uh, we are headed this week to College Station, Texas to right a great wrong in our recent past where we did not make it all the way to College Station for the Alabama-Texas A&M game, and then they won. Well, we will be there Saturday night for Auburn versus Texas A&M. Colin tells me, he is my source on all things AP, Colin tells me, that it is a top 15 matchup, again, according to the AP, and the game is gonna be a lot prettier than that graphic that you're looking at on the screen, which wasn't quite centered up, probably my fault. So that's where we'll be Saturday. Where we were yesterday, amazing. What a scene. So let's dive into this, because I know a lot of you watched this too. Michigan State 37, Michigan 33. I know some of you out there, I have it on good authority at least, turned this game off when it was mm, 30 to 14 Michigan. And whoops could blame you. It looked like it was over. Well, it wasn't. So this was college football at its absolute best. I was at this game. I will put it right up against Oklahoma, Texas, not only as the best game I've seen this year. I think those are both top three, top four candidates for best college football games I've ever seen in person, period, just any given year. It was my first experience at Michigan State, certainly my first experience seeing this game played. And it was a pinch yourself kind of game. I have these a few times per season. And it's one of those games where if you grew up a college football fan like I did, and for a vast majority of your kind of adolescence slash young adulthood, you never thought you'd be able to do this for a living because that's where I was for a long time. But then you get to do it for a living. You have pinch yourself moments. You were not always just bequeathed this. This was not an inevitability. It wasn't always going to be the aisle with which you professionally walked down. And so yesterday was a pinch myself moment professionally because you're standing there watching this and you're surrounded by Michigan State fans and a smattering of Michigan fans and it just means so much. Sometimes I don't think that bleeds through. No matter how good the broadcast is, you gotta be there in person. Those of you who go to games know what I'm talking about to fully get the magnitude of some of these games and why regular season games mean more to me than any kind of postseason game in college football. And then yesterday, so we're there, we're on the field, there's post game. You're looking at it right now if you're on YouTube. It means so, so much. And the pinch myself moment as Paul Bunyan's axe, the trophy right there in front of you is being hoisted by the Michigan State players. It's one of those situations of how did I get here? Like what business do I, of all people who grew up loving this sport, have on this field right now? I'm there in a professional capacity, but dude, I was a fan. Look at this, look at me running around, screaming like a 19-year-old like a girl at Van Halen concert. You can't hear that because I had our producers turn the audio down on this, but uh, there he goes. Look at Paul, wearing the Spartan helmet, no less. Look at Paul. This was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And look at the moment right now. The reason that I want to be on the field for these games is because I want to capture this kind of stuff. Look at the crowd, and you're just going to have to visualize it if you're listening on podcast. Look at those players. Not a single soul there is focused on playoff ranking right now. It's all about the moment. That's a moment. This is what college football is about. Moments. Moments on Saturdays in the fall. Not moments on a Monday night in some NFL stadium a thousand miles away in January. That's all well and good. It'll get here in time. Those are the moments that a lot of us love this sport because of. They've played that game since 1898. It means a whole lot. And it meant a lot to me to be able to experience it yesterday. And I let everyone there who I could possibly let know, know. I got some more footage I'm going to show you in a little while that uh, we watched after that game. But I want to get to the game first. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, no, I don't. 
I want to go to the ending first. So let's do this game in reverse. Yesterday, Michigan State beats Michigan, right? And it's Mel Tucker this and Mel Tucker that. But I want you, if you're watching on YouTube right now, to look at this. I was walking off the field and I saw Mark D'Antonio, former Michigan State head coach, guy who put a lot of this in motion. A lot of those players were recruited by Mark D'Antonio. And I saw him standing there alone. So I figured I'd just record it for you. Look at him. He's got the entire celebration in the background. He's in the foreground. And you got to wonder, if you think pictures are ever worth a thousand words, I'd say that one's worth about a million or two of what's going through his mind. He's standing there in silence. He's standing there all alone, and he's just watching those players. They have no clue he's even there. And it was great to see. And so I stood there, and I watched that for a little while, and then I went down the tunnel and kind of um, partook in a little of that team celebration myself. I didn't go in the locker room, though. That would have been unprofessional. And I'm nothing if not professional. So now let's talk about this game. One of the best things, I think, that happened yesterday that made this game one of the best that I've ever seen in person is how many ways it surprised you. And the first way it surprised you, I think, is not that it was close. If I were to have told you this thing's going to be 13 to 9, it's going to be a slop fest and a slug fest, you would have been able to buy that. I don't think a lot of you saw 37 to 33 coming. And I don't think a lot of you saw... You know, Cade McNamara, for example, quarterback from Michigan, being able to have a career day through the air. He eclipsed, did Cade McNamara, his career high in passing yardage midway through the third quarter. And he lost the game. That's the team that lost the game. Michigan went over 500 total yards offense. They lost the game. I don't think many people saw that coming. I think defensive slugfest, and it's just close because no one's capable of scoring. Maybe you could have seen that. But it surprised you, not that it was close, but in the manner in which it was close. And also, the amount of haymakers that were taken by both schools, by both programs, by both of these teams, and the ability to get up off the deck, 12-round fight, 15-round fight, depending on which era you grew up in, to use the boxing metaphor, they kept taking what should have been knockout blows, and they kept responding. Maybe they were down for six or seven, not down for the 10 count, and they got back up. I mean, there's a period here where... Michigan State draws, I think, to within one possession, and it's third and eight, and there, Michigan's right in front of that Michigan State student section, and it's third down, and McNamara's got pressure in his face, and he drops one in the bucket, and it's a huge gain. I think Michigan ended up getting a field goal on that drive, and that alone, in a normal setting, you've taken their responding shot. That's why you built the early lead, so you could take that and then answer, and it's so many different instances where you probably, if you're sitting at home, you said, that's ball game. I guarantee you there's someone out there watching that game yesterday who said the words, that's ball game, half a dozen times. In this one half, not even game, just this one half. The second thing I think that surprised a whole lot of people is the fact that a team built a 30 to 14 lead and lost. And that team was Michigan. And I know, because I had some of you texting me, I know some of you turned this game off. And I know because I was talking to some of the assembled media there in attendance, that some gamers, which is the fancy industry term for post-game articles, some of the gamers had already started to be written, and the central theme was something along the lines of Michigan proves they're for real. You know, Michigan not only beats Michigan State, but it's one of those contender, pretender moments, and all of a sudden you're going to have a bright white spotlight on Michigan, and they beat Michigan State by, just leave that blank, you'll fill it in once the game's over, and now we got to ask, can this team take down Ohio State? All that's going through people's minds. And then a funny thing happened. Michigan State started scoring. And they didn't stop. 23-3 is the run that they ended this game on to win it. They, I mean, my goodness. So Kenneth Walker, 
you know I'm not huge on the Heisman and all that stuff, but Kenneth Walker had himself a day yesterday. That's the running back for Michigan State. Let me give you a little number here. So he had 23 carries for 197 yards. But to give you an idea of what this game hinged on, which is exactly what we expected the other day, if Michigan State were to win it, it hinged on explosive plays, not just through the air. It hinged on explosive plays offensively, period. And a lot of those this year have come via the ground game. We called them popcorn droppers. Well, that guy, Kenneth Walker, he ran for 197 yards. 126 of them came on four carries. 126 of his 197 came on four carries. Those are called popcorn droppers. If you want to call them Heisman moments, you can. That's for someone else to decide. They don't give me a vote on that thing, nor should they. Those were popcorn droppers. Those ended up being the difference in the game, and a vast majority of that happens in the second half where everyone and their mother knows where it's going to come from, if it's going to come at all for Michigan State, and it still happens. And it was incredible to watch. I've been in person a handful of times when that award, that Heisman Trophy at the end of the year, ends up being decided on the field. And I don't know if that's what we saw yesterday. I know I watched someone probably take the lead in that race, but it had that feel. Had that feel. You know, the, the Mark Ingram 2009 second half stretch SEC championship, Cam Newton doing it in 2010, uh, the Johnny Manziel run, Lamar Jet, like that kind of stuff. You could feel it. And that's what that felt like yesterday. Still a long way to go. A lot of these big time players still have their big time games to come. But this gutted Michigan, and I don't think anyone argues that, obviously. This gutted Michigan. I had to drive back to Detroit last night, which means you got to drive through Ann Arbor. And that was not the happiest of trips. Stopped at the gas station there in Ann Arbor. A lot of sullen faces. And understandably so. I'm not telling you you should be happy with the outcome. But as someone who just sits off to the side and observes, I'm telling you, certainly I walked away with a higher opinion of Michigan State than I had when I came in there Friday night. But I'm saying the same thing about Michigan. Michigan did a lot of things I didn't think they were capable of. I didn't think Cade McNamara was capable of playing at that level. I really didn't. Now, they gave up some big plays. And defensively, I think they have a little soul searching to do. I also think a lot of what we saw and a lot of the busts and a lot of the you know, lack of being gap sound, some of the things I think that cost Michigan yesterday are correctable. I don't think it was just strictly terminal personnel issues. So here's the challenge for Jim Harbaugh. They still got a lot to play for. Like Michigan State still has Purdue, Maryland, Ohio State, and Penn State coming up. They could lose two of those games. They could also go undefeated for all I know. What I'm saying is Michigan may end up controlling their destiny again. But the key is, Jim Harbaugh's got to get his team back. James Franklin got his team back after they lost to Illinois. We're going to talk about that game in a second. You've got to get your team back. If they get them back, and I think they will, this is their first loss, then they've got Indiana this week. They go to Penn State. We're talking about Michigan. They go to Maryland, and then they've got Ohio State. Uh, I did not, I cannot remember what the Penn State number is, but I, it's a futures line right now. They should they should take care of Indiana this Saturday, especially since now we start to see a little evolution in Michigan's game. Because yesterday, even in defeat, yesterday you saw a lot more versatility offensively than you ever thought you'd be seeing when you saw the style of play through the first few weeks. Did you ever think that you were going to see Cade McNamara throw the ball like that? I'm not talking about just throwing a bunch of 50-50 balls way down the field. That throw he made for their first touchdown and several thereafter, those are big-time throws. Like, your top quarterbacks in America aren't throwing it better than that. 
you don't probably see it as much from McNamara as you would the top level quarterbacks, but he had some of those moments which showed you he's capable of it. So Michigan's still capable of a lot here, but boy, Michigan State, I mean, that's what it's all about. I don't know where they're going to be ranked in the playoff committee uh, Tuesday night. We'll, we're going to be on air right after that comes out, so obviously we'll have a lot to say about that. But they've got everything in front of them, and afterwards what was really fun was to watch Mel Tucker because there's this thing that you can't ignore out there, obviously, the whole LSU dynamic. And I was talking to a lot of people around there yesterday, and they didn't deny that it's, it's a, a reality. I mean, everyone has access to the Internet. Everyone hears it. It's not like they're willingly blind to it. They're enjoying the moment right now. But here's what I kept thinking about. And I, we did some postgame coverage on CBS Sports HQ, and we were talking about this. If you are making the decisions at LSU and you like Mel Tucker, it, there's a big difference in Mel Tucker and the other guys you'll probably go after in that Mel Tucker does not have a lengthy resume as a head coach. Mel Tucker has, what, about two and a half seasons of head coaching experience under his belt. Well, that means you don't have a long established track record, which also means every game is so significantly bigger on his resume than it would be a guy, let's say like James Franklin, that has a number of years now, over a decade's worth of head coaching experience. And I'm saying that to tell you, if he is on your radar, imagine what yesterday meant. Because you don't have 1999 and then 2003, 2009. You just got 19, 20, 21, like that's what you have. So yesterday, for all we know, could have pushed some critical decision makers over the edge in favor of Mel Tucker. You know my thoughts on that. I'm not a big believer that that's how I'd love to handle a hiring process, but we also know I'm not in the room, first off, at LSU or USC or anywhere in between. And secondly, we do know it gets handled like that sometimes. So some things to think about in the midterm. In the short term, Michigan State is undefeated. Michigan State has every goal left in front of them. And Michigan State right now is a team that, like Michigan, has developed several more layers to their game that maybe you didn't think they were capable of when we entered the season. And it makes them dangerous. And I'll tell you what it also does. It also makes you look at Ohio State. Last night was one of the tests for the Buckeyes. They've still got to play Michigan State. They've still got to play Michigan. And then they get whoever they get in the Big Ten Championship game. If they make it there, it's not I'm. I know a lot of people out there think the Big Ten is this foregone conclusion. And, well, it's just an inevitability. It's not a matter of if, but when Ohio State wraps that thing up, it may be. I think they're the best team up there. I don't think they're unbeat, or uh, I don't think that they are, number one, without blemish. They've already got one, obviously. But number two, I don't think that uh, they are immune to some of the things that we see happen every year in college football. So that was an experience yesterday. I'm going to talk about it a whole lot more on our Tuesday podcast. If you're unfamiliar, by the way, we do the Late Kick Extra podcast every Tuesday morning and every Thursday morning. That gets released anywhere you get your podcast. You can download it. We have a lot different format than we do on this show. This show we do live Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. You also get a replay of that in your podcast feed. But it's Q&A on Tuesday and Thursday. But on that Tuesday morning Late Kick Extra pod, I always go a little bit more in-depth on some of the stories that I just don't have time to share from our previous weekend's trip. This weekend, we're going to go to College Station. I'll have a lot to share with you, uh, I would imagine, on the following Tuesday. But this last weekend, there is a significant portfolio in my mind of stories. Small example, this will take 10 seconds. I got into it with a TSA agent last night. Normally, this is a bad thing. Normally, it means you said bomb in the wrong place. Well, I didn't. I got in an argument with the TSA agent in Detroit last night. There was no line behind me. It was very, very short. It was late at night. 
Because the guy suggested I talk more NFL on the show. And it's obvious the guy has no clue what he's talking about. So even though this man held my ability to get home in the palm of his hand, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't restrain myself. And so I got into an argument with the TSA agent. Now, we did arrive at sort of a bygones be bygones, agree to disagree sort of conclusion. I felt like I probably came out on the upper hand if you scored it. But anyway, I'll tell that story Tuesday. We don't have time to tell the story of me and the TSA agent in Detroit International Airport getting into an argument on the Sunday night show. What we do have time to do is I have time to tell you that yesterday, for the first time, I went out of the southern footprint, if you will, and I had people talking about Academy Sports and Outdoors to me, which means, which means in all likelihood, they are being, they're, well, they're going to academy.com. I can confirm to you because some of you confirmed that to me. That's what you're doing. Academy.com. Why am I talking about it? Because it's our exclusive partner on this show. I've got a comment. Actually, if I could pull it up, I don't think I saved it. Colin, I didn't tell you this. So someone hopped in the comment section of one of our videos last week, and they said they used to like the show, but now they don't like it anymore because I try and get people to go to Academy and buy things and then send me the receipts so that I can show Academy and Academy gives us more money which obviously shows a fundamental lack of understanding of how ad sales work. Uh, but secondly, it also shows a lack of understanding of the fact that actually that's just for fun. But even if it wasn't for fun, even if that was a secret diabolical plot we had, it's to keep the show free, guys. That's what Academy does for us. The reason you see an ear-to-ear -ear smile anytime I'm talking about them is because I do know how it works behind the scenes. And I know how shows like these when they get a sizable audience, how it typically goes is some high level mustache in some high rise way up the Eastern seaboard looks at it and says, wait a second, a lot of people seem to like that thing. Let's charge them for it. You don't have to do it if you have a partner like Academy on board guys. And so when I tell you that they are integral to what we do here, I mean, they're integral to what we do here and they're integral to what you do. I'm not asking you to go buy barrels full of chemicals from some company you've never heard of that you could otherwise never use. I'm telling you, you're gonna buy coolers anyway. You're gonna buy tents, grills, t-shirts, sweaters anyway. Do it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Help yourself, help your style, help your game day outfit, and also help the show. So people helping people. That's one of the best lines from Wedding Crashers, and it's one of the best things that we can do on this show. Academy Sports and Outdoors, the official partner of not only the Big 12 and the SEC, but the official outdoor sporting goods partner of Late Kick, which costs you $0.00 and zero cents to watch. And boy, is no one more thankful for that than me. Jacksonville is where I couldn't be yesterday, but it's where we're going next. Georgia 34, Florida 7. You look at the score, and what do you think? So I'll tell you what I think. I think there's a lot more to a football game than a final score, but yet that's stupid because you play to win the game. Herm told us that a generation ago, and it's still true today. Uh, this is where you have to have a little bit of nuance and a little bit of context work its way into the conversation. So Georgia beat Florida 34 to seven. There's several ways that you could arrive at a final score that looks like that. One of them is offensive domination and situational football defensively. Another one is just flat out dominant defense. A third one is a turnover fest that you come out on the better end of. The point is, it doesn't matter in the past. 34 to 7 is 34 to 7. But that's not what the conversation's about today. If you've been around any of your Georgia buddies, if you've been around really any kind of message board, Twitter and the like, no one's talking 
about whether Georgia can beat Florida? We already saw that they could. People want to know if Georgia can win a national championship. And so the questions that are being asked are not, is Georgia better than Florida? Do you really think their four touchdowns better than Florida? No, no one cares. Not even Georgia fans are talking about that. What they're asking is number one, what did we learn yesterday? Number two, what did this change, if anything? Well, I don't know what we learned, but it certainly didn't change anything in my mind. I don't feel a way about Georgia that I didn't already feel. I think what surprised me the most after going back and watching this game is how much surprise there really was from other people. I don't really get why we're surprised. Let me give you a little cheat sheet on football. If you have a game and 73% of the points scored in that game are off turnovers, which is exactly what happened yesterday, 30 of the 41 points I think were off turnovers, you probably are not learning a whole lot as it relates to the future based on that result. It's a standalone result. So what happened yesterday, standalone in nature. You got just what you got. You see it on the screen there, or you're listening to me, a 28 point win over Florida in a rivalry game, it's what you got. And that's really all it is to me. Now I know we can't do that. I know a lot of people don't wanna do that. So the one thing that surprised me was being able to get the reaction before I watched the game. And it was pouring in on the eye, Josh. And I had everything from Kirby's getting out coached again to Florida's terrible to look at that. It's inevitable. It was only a matter of time. And I'm looking at all this and I'm not being able to see the game or hear the game myself. And so I have to imagine that this is just a seesaw fair of ugliness. And then when I found out it was three to nothing near the half, and of course I've gone back and watched the game since, but when I'm finding out real time that that's what happened, I'm going and checking one thing. And you know what it was. I'm going to check JT Daniels' stat line. And there isn't one. That's what surprised me. JT Daniels did not play in this game. You want to know about surprise? That was surprise. I'll come back to that in just a second. This whole thing about Georgia began a few weeks ago. A lot of people were surprised yesterday that this was close near the half and, and that Georgia offensively didn't really do a whole lot. And they didn't necessarily just drown Florida. They didn't outman them to the degree that you thought they would. And that's not Georgia's fault. That is your fault. And I'm not talking to any person in particular because it makes me sound mean. I'm not doing that. But I tried to sit in this chair and I tried to tell you a few weeks ago, do not fall victim to what's happening. And what happened is once Bama lost to A&M, a lot of people tried, well, they tried at least to start convincing you that there's a huge gap between Georgia and everyone else. There is not a huge gap between Georgia and everyone else. There is a gap between Georgia and probably the fourth best team and beyond. But you put Ohio State or Alabama on a field with them, there's not a big gap. There's not a gap at all. It doesn't win-loss records independent. Okay, we're talking about a game that would happen in the future. I put Bama on the field with Georgia Saturday, or it's, it may happen in Atlanta about a month from now. There's no huge gap. But that didn't stop the casuals out there from telling you there was. That didn't stop the casuals from telling you their heads and shoulders better than anyone else in the country. And that meant expectations got falsely elevated to a level that that current Georgia team, the one you saw yesterday, they're not going to match. This is not 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama. That's not what you have here. You have a rock solid defensive team with flaws and deficiencies elsewhere, just the same as Alabama has, just the same as Ohio State has. It's just they have different flaws. And so they have a standout unit. That defense is standout, but they're not unbeatable just like anyone else. It's like, it's, it's, I keep getting this 
And I keep trying to respond, and I, I keep trying to respond in different versions of the same reaction. It's great. It's, they, they are the number one team in the country. I've got them rated the number one team in the country. I don't disagree with that. I think my disagreement comes when someone tries to tell me Georgia's the best team in the country, and then there's a significant margin, significant gap between them and Bama or them and Ohio State. I haven't seen it that way. Hey, I could be wrong, but I haven't seen it that way. So Stetson Bennett plays this whole game at quarterback for Georgia. I am convinced that there is more than meets the eye here. Because last week, I mean, I had it on pretty good word we were going to see JT Daniels in this game, and I'm not the only one. Some people very close to that team had it on good authority that at the very least we were going to see two quarterbacks. I thought we'd end up seeing Daniels take a majority of the snaps, and instead we didn't see it at all, which has convinced me that he's not 100% healthy or 90% healthy. He is not at a level that they feel good enough putting him on the field for. I'm going to choose to believe that because if the alternative is true, then I'm telling you point blank, it's a borderline dereliction of duty on Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin's part. So you're not going to convince me that they have looked at things, assessed the situation, and said, we're going to put our second best quarterback on the field. Because I do not believe, with both of them at or near full health, that Stetson Bennett is the best quarterback on that team. So here come the caveats, which we always have to do. We had to make a habit out of doing this last year. It was earlier in the season. But we got ourselves in this same predicament last year. I cannot believe we're debating this again. We got ourselves in the same predicament last year. Georgia looked very good against some inferior competition early in the year. Stetson Bennett was doing enough for you to win. And I dared to sit at the other studio in Brentwood and said, Stetson Bennett's probably good enough to win you nine or ten games. This year, he's good enough to win you probably 12 games because it is complimentary and he's got that defense to work with but he's not good enough to win a national championship, which you guys are telling me is your goal. I'm, I, you're filling in that blank. I'm not the one trying to paint your picture of expectation for you. We're there again. We're there again. Same situation now. The only difference is Georgia personnel-wise is a little bit better than they were last year, but we're at the same situation. So here are the caveats. The caveats are, I wish we had a million Stetson Bennett's in college football. His story is a testament. Uh, his story is great. He is a great person. You will not find anyone to speak ill of him. I'm not speaking ill of him. This is high-level competition. All I'm telling you is that guy, Stetson Bennett, as much as I love him, and he'd probably make a great co-host to the show if we had him here, and he's playing good football for Georgia, is not going to play great football for Georgia. And that's the only problem there is. If you're happy with good, if you're happy with good enough, then that is enough. I am simply responding to Georgia folks who tell me their goal is to win a national championship. I'm telling you, if that's your goal, you're not going to win one with Stetson Bennett. That's all I'm telling you. Even this year, you're not going to win one with Stetson Bennett. And I think, or I have to believe, that Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin know that. And if JT Daniels was fully ready to play, and they were confident in his health status holding up, I think he'd be in the game. I'm choosing to believe that. Because the alternative is something that I'm not going to choose to believe. There's no way I'm going to choose to believe that they're looking at both of those guys fully healthy and saying, he's the one we're rolling with because he's the one that's going to give us the best shot to win everything that we want to win. Now, there is another game potentially in play right here. And I think there's some validity to this. There are some folks out there that buy into the school of thought that Kirby Smart, Todd Munkin and company up there, they've looked and they've said, Florida's not going to beat us. 
no one is capable really, I mean, if we play the level of ball that we play defensively, no one is going to be in the realm of being able to beat us until SEC championship game. And so, how about we get through the Florida game, and then we'll start to ease JT Daniels in, and then we'll have him ready to go for the SEC championship game. Look, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I think that that sounds a lot more water cooler-ish, a lot more Xbox-ish than what really happens in a coach's room and how uh, pro football programs really run. But I guess it could be that that's what's happening right now. Uh, but in my gut, I'm telling you, I believe there's a little bit still holding JT Daniels back. And what it could be is it could be as simple as team doctors telling Kirby Smart, look, you got a guy that I'm going to medically clear right now, but this is fragile. I mean, this lap muscle, which is what he was you know, struggling with rehabbing, that thing could pop up and flare back up in any minute. And I'm telling you, I'm the doctor now talking, I'm telling you, if you have it flare up again, he's done. Because then we got to start this whole process over, and it's going to be fill-in-the-blank weeks to fill-in-the-blank weeks, and you're probably not going to have him. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that could happen. But outside of that, like I've got some folks who are telling me, independent of JT Daniels' health status, Stetson Bennett's the guy. And I'm just stunned that we're still debating this. Stunned that we are, after last year, debating this yet again. Stetson Bennett's a very good quarterback. Let me give you another cheat sheet. Second cheat sheet of the night on the show. Your best quarterback always gives you the best chance to win. Playing the best quarterback always gives you the best chance to win long-term. So if that's what we're trying to do, and I believe that's what JT Daniels is when he is at or near full health, then that's what we need to do there. I'm not going to question it because Kirby Smart knows more about the situation than I do. I'm going to choose to believe there is more there than meets my eye. Because if there's not, that's a, not a good situation at Georgia currently. But that's not the best thing Kirby Smart did yesterday. They won the game, yes. Kirby Smart gets in his post-game press conference, and if I didn't know better, I would say that there should have been a lead. I'm going to play some sound for you in a second. But to me, even though there wasn't, there should have been a lead on this, like there is with a, a political action committee's campaign commercial during election season. And it should have sounded something like the following message has been approved and paid for by Florida Gator fans. Here was the sound yesterday in Kirby Smart's postgame press conference. Sounds eerily reminiscent of a show that we did here on Late Kick just last week. Take a listen. I mean, guys, if you don't recruit, there's no coach out there that can out-coach recruiting, okay? I, I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever play the game better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to out-coach players. I mean, anybody will tell you our defense is good because we got good players. So spending time on the phone, you know, spending time with people at your house, spending time with people when they come to your campus. You know, I, I'm not with my family when I'm doing that. My family sacrifices so that I can go and spend time with other people's families so that we have good players. So, you know, that's 25% evaluation. That's 50% recruiting. And another 25% is going to be coaching. But if you don't recruit, guys, you got no chance. Just go look. Look at the best teams out there. They got good football players. And that's the reason I believe in recruiting. And I believe you better always be recruiting. Always be recruiting because if you're not somebody else is that's the story i mean that's really the long and short of it at florida right now uh, there, there were parts of the game yesterday that that were okay there were parts of the uh, strategic approach and the game plan and the coaching yesterday that looked okay for florida 
and yet you've got a guy over there who can afford to get himself into this kind of situation with his quarterback room and it's three to nothing near the half and you are sitting there I know because some of you texted me you're sitting there thinking in the first half oh he's getting out coached again Georgia fans a majority of them are not even happy with how they played yesterday and they beat you by four touchdowns why because they got better players than you so many people make this stuff so difficult and it's true, what those guys are doing would make most people's heads spin. But here's what he's telling you. What he is, Kirby Smart, telling you is, I could draw things on a grease board all day long. I could scheme you all day long. It goes back to the old metaphor we used last week. If you're driving a station wagon and I'm driving the monster truck, you could be the smartest person in the world. You are done once I learn how to turn the ignition. Once I learn to crank the monster truck up, you're done. Because you're in a station wagon and I'm in the monster truck. Kirby Smart, his roster is a monster truck. You cannot scheme your way around it. It just, it doesn't have to go around you. It goes over you. And then that's the end. And they walk away saying, oh, we got to clean some stuff up. But we did just beat you by four touchdowns. That's where Florida football is right now. I know, um, I, I know there's some whispers out there that maybe some changes are coming. You'll have to convince me that one of those is going to be head coach because I, at the moment, don't believe that. Everything else is up for grabs. I think everything else is up in the air. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Let's move it on. Ohio State beats Penn State 33-24. to Closer game, maybe, than you thought it would be? Well, if it was, then it's such a perfect illusion. Or, and that's not an illusion. I think last week may have been more of the illusion. This is a perfect illustration of what college football really is and what a college football team really is. Not just a game, but a full team. Important distinction there. So I thought yesterday's result validated the whole power rating process, and then it also validated why a lot of people go broke trying to bet this stuff. So let me ask you a question, and we'll dive into this. What is a football game? It's as simple a question as we'll ever ask on this show. What is a football game? Because one snapshot of a team, that's what a football game is. It's not a total definition of a team. It's not a total picture. You get 12 snapshots per year of a football team. A game is just one of them. Where people go broke, 
and they light their money on fire betting on this stuff is they allow themselves to become convinced that every snapshot is the whole picture. Last week, Penn State lost to Illinois. It was ugly. It was a very ugly snapshot. It was the picture you take where you're halfway between blinks or you started to say a word and so your face looks ridiculous. That was last week. Last week was the picture they took when you were in the middle of saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I can't even say the word. I've never been able to say the word. That was last week's Illinois loss. Now remember on Tuesday when I released the JP poll, we got a whole lot of pushback because I only had Penn State drop to I think 11th, 10th or 11th, somewhere like that, which was right in line with what Vegas odds makers did. And we got a lot of pushback because you, not, not you, some of you, a fringe minority, could not understand the justification for only dropping them to number 11. Well, this was the justification. Last night was the justification. Because you see, what happened last week against Illinois is not Penn State. It was one version of them. Last night, the, the version of Penn State that trailed one of the best teams in the country on the road by three in their own building, that's another version of Penn State. And the reality is, it's a solid mixture of all this stuff. The team that beat Auburn, uh, the team that lost to Illinois, the team that pushed Ohio State to the very limit, you combine all those. And that's what Penn State is. That's what we try and do with those power ratings. That's why there's no knee-jerk reaction in those power ratings. So we'll probably still have Penn State right around where we had them last week, spoiler alert, even though they lost. This game, though, showed why we do it that way. So what happened in this game? Ohio State, they did what was needed. Pretty plain and simple. I was watching this on the flight home last night. They limited Penn State on the ground, which in fairness, a lot of teams have been able to do this year. Uh, Penn State had 1.1 yards per rush last night, which obviously is not going to get it done. Uh, before adjusting for sack total yardage, they had 29 carries for 33 yards. I think in reality they had like 50-something. Still bad. That's the first thing Ohio State did. The second thing it falls right behind that one, and that is force Sean Clifford, the quarterback there, who is of questionable health to begin with, to do something extraordinary to beat you. And his stat line last night was 35 of 52, 361 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But the third part that really coincides with that is force them to throw enough where they make mistakes. And force them to do enough extraordinary things where they make mistakes. And they did. I mean, there was a scoop and score that it probably ended up being the difference in this game late. And that's how Ohio State wins it. They hit some explosive plays on Penn State and they put the game away. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't the result that I think a lot of Ohio State folks wanted. Ohio State folks wanted a scalp. They wanted, to, they wanted this game to be like what Bama did to LSU last year. They wanted to kind of pick at the carcass. That's what they wanted to do. That wasn't this game. Because uh, Penn State was a dog, but they were a very live dog. There's still a lot of fight left in that team. Uh, that team hasn't given up by any stretch of the imagination. So my takeaway for Penn State was it was a heck of an effort. If I were to tell you going into yesterday, you're going to have 1.1 yards per carry. You're going to be minus two in turnovers. You're going into their building. What would you have thought? You would have thought a tsunami was coming. You would have put your little snorkel on and just prepared for the inevitable. You had a chance to win the game. You were right there. It was a three-point game in the fourth quarter. So there's a lot to be said about that, but at the end, it's still a loss. And what, what I started thinking about is how close that game was to being one of the marquee events of the college football season. Because if Sean Clifford stays healthy, Penn State has beaten Iowa. I don't have any doubt about that. If Sean Clifford is healthy, then Penn State beats Illinois last week. 
I mean, they are an undefeated team going into Ohio State last night. That's what Penn State is fractions of inches away from being in my mind. But yet that doesn't matter because what they were was already a two-loss team in desperation mode last night. But think about how different that game would be if all we changed in history was, um, you know, a hit or the way a guy lands here and there. Because that's been the difference in Penn State season. I mean, that's it. And so you saw last night the version of that team and the level that that team would have played at if they were undefeated. That's what you would have expected from them. The point is Penn State's not any different a team just because they have two losses. Ohio State won't get as much credit for this as they should. They'll get a lot of criticism because they only won by nine. No, they won a hard-fought football game. You wouldn't frown on it if Penn State was undefeated. And I'm telling you the only thing that's kept them from being undefeated is Sean Clifford being capable of playing the level he played last night due to health. If Sean Clifford were healthy, he could have done that before. They would have been undefeated. So my Ohio State takeaway is just that, number one. But number two, they, they're okay right now. This is not a great team yet. But the good news is they can be in ascension mode. They can do what Clemson has done, what Bama's done famously in years past, and that is peak at the right time. They've got the ingredients. There are some young pieces, for example, and there are some pieces that still need to be tweaked and ratcheted up, and they're secondary. There were some open receivers last night. I had a coach texting me about that. When I landed, my phone goes bing, 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 bing. And it was a coach that had been watching and saying, someone's going to light this secondary up. And I don't doubt that there's coming a day in the near future, probably, where Ohio State may need, what, 40 to win a game. They scored 33 yesterday. There's going to be a quarterback and a receiving room, maybe before you even get to a potential playoff, that does something against you uncharacteristic relative to their norm because your secondary makes it possible. They've got Nebraska this Saturday at Nebraska. That's around a 16-point spread. It's not a gimme. It's around a 16-point spread. Uh, Nebraska, from an odds-making perspective, one of, if not the most underrated teams in the country. They lost another one-possession game yesterday. Another one to Purdue. Uh, speaking of Purdue, Ohio State then has Purdue. They've got Michigan State, and then they go to Michigan. Look, these teams can score. I mean, this is not Big Ten circa 1984. Some of these teams can score, and certainly you get into a playoff situation if you face Alabama, if you face even an Oklahoma, like there are teams out there, obviously with better receiver rooms, that are going to be able to do something against you. The question is, can you do it back to them? Because I guarantee you, there's no receiver room in the country that Ohio State coaches would trade for than the one they already have. And I, they'd probably tell you there's not a quarterback they'd trade for. Just got to put it all together. You're not peaking at Halloween? Fine. Peak in December. Peak in early January. That's where you want to peak. This team can absolutely win a national championship. I know some people watched them last night and they looked at them and every single flaw you pointed out and you say, oh, can't win a championship with that. Well, that's only if you have another flawless team out there. You don't. Keep trying to tell people. There is no Joe Burrow-led LSU out there. there. There isn't one. That's why there are several more teams in play right now than anyone wants to believe. And I don't know why you don't want to believe it. You guys are always wanting parody. You got a lot more of it than you think you have right now. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Let's uh, get to some more takeaways yesterday. Had several more games. Uh, I want to start with one that we spent an inordinate amount of time last week on, but it's because I thought we had an angle on it. So Auburn beats Ole Miss 31 to 20. And I couldn't have been any happier watching this game because the angle that we thought we had was exactly what determined it. 
We showed you in the JP poll. We had Ole Miss at four, we had Auburn at nine. But yet we had Auburn, according to the model, slated to win this game and cover, which they did. This is one of the reasons it was our best bet last week. So a lot of you asked, how could you have Ole Miss ranked or rated higher, but pick Auburn to win? Why would the model have Ole Miss rated higher and then say Auburn's gonna win? Well, it was two dynamics in play that we thought swung the game worth nine points. And as a result, it swung it a little bit more than nine. One was the SEC body blow dynamic in full effect. Auburn was rested and Ole Miss was coming off over a month of playing SEC competition consecutively. They were without most of their wide receiver core, without a tight end last night. They were just banged up. They were a beat up team. Uh, the, the biggest mistake that a lot of folks make in judging strength of schedule is you look at a team like LSU, Ole Miss played LSU last week, and you look at their record, and you look at the record of LSU, and LSU is nothing to write home about. That doesn't make your training room any less crowded the following Sunday. The players aren't any smaller or slower or weaker just because their record is bad. Those collisions that those Ole Miss players had with those LSU players last week, they still hurt every bit as much. They still took every bit as much a toll. But it gets ignored because they won the game and because LSU's not good this year. Well, did you watch Ole Miss last night and watch some of the people that they were without or watch some of the people that were well below 100%? It matters. It matters disproportionately in the conferences that recruit at a higher level. It matters. So there's a lot of benefit to playing in the SEC, but there's a price you pay even against some bad teams when they got the kind of roster that LSU does. And they played Tennessee before that, and they played Bama before that, and they played Arkansas. Ole Miss was beat to death coming into this game last night. Talking to some of the folks close to the program, they knew it. That's why we moved on the game. Secondly, home field was huge last night. Did you listen to Lane Kiffin afterwards, if you don't believe me? He specifically talked about home field affecting them. Auburn's got one of a, the sneakiest home fields in the country. Bama's still got to go in there. And Auburn still controls their own fate, which is what I'm about to talk about in just a second. Mathematically, I don't think a lot of people were talking about it going into yesterday. But now that they beat Ole Miss, Auburn controls their own fate in the SEC. They're going to Texas A&M this Saturday. They are a little under a touchdown underdog. We're going to be at the game. There's still some mountains to climb, still some big hurdles to clear, but Auburn could go to Atlanta. If they get past Texas A&M, that's when all aisles will end up turning to the Iron Bowl because Bama's got to go in there. Bama has lost the last two times they've gone to Auburn. They never, never perform at the level that you think they're supposed to there because it's a really hard place to play at. Ask Lane Kiffin. So Auburn wins. Auburn still controlling their own destiny. That's one team that you probably didn't know that about. Here's another team that you don't know that about. I'm going to whisper it because I don't even know if they want the secret out yet. Miami controls their own destiny in the ACC. And why is that? Because Miami went to Pitt yesterday and they won 38 to 34. And I just want to ask you what in the world's happening with Miami at quarterback specifically. Derek King goes down for the season and the season's supposed to go off the rails and they've improved at quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke yesterday, this stat line looks like a month for him. He threw for 428 yards, he had three touchdowns, 32 of 42. Here's how good he was. Here's how good Miami ended up being. Pickett, who is a Heisman contender in his own right for Pitt, threw for 519 yards and he lost they lost the game, 38 to 34. That was a very, very bad pick at the very end of this thing. Here's what Miami has now. 
And here's why I start smiling when I say they control their own destiny. You tell me where the surefire loss is. They've got Georgia Tech. They go to Florida State. They've got Virginia Tech. And that's it. That's the, that's the remainder of their conference schedule. They can win every one of them. They can lose every one of them. Let's understand that too. But Manny Diaz, I guess all it took was the old Herman Boone, lose one game and you're fired idea. And all of a sudden, what's on fire is Miami. What planet is this? I can't believe I just said that. So we got to move on here. Baylor beats Texas 31 to 24. I apologize on behalf of this team to Longhorn Nation. This has got to be tough to watch. What a theme. This should be a sitcom because it follows script so perfectly every week for Texas. They got up yesterday 21 to 10, which is, uh, according to our stats and info department, a double digit lead. And again, Texas blows a double digit second half lead. They blew one obviously against Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, I believe, Baylor now. And it's got to be tough to watch. Like how, think about how long it will take from this point moving forward, if you're a Texas fan, for you to feel comfortable with a double digit lead. You're going to have Texas fans for the next 30 years with a 35 to 10 lead and they're telling their son or their nephew or their grandkid, it ain't over. Trust me, it ain't over. That's the long-term PSD type impact that this season is going to have on the psyche of a Texas football fan. Steve Sarkeesian, on a much more serious note, has to figure out how to harness this because you can't change what's happening. What you've got to do, and we've seen coaches do it before, is you've got to be able to take the first half success and you got to be able to sell that as that's what I'm capable of, that's what we're going to do. Then you got to take the second half failure and you got to sell it as we can't do it for a full four quarters until we have players like you. I mean, that's what you have to do. You got to be able to turn a negative into a positive. Let's see if they do that. So again, a Texas loss and now Big 12 out of probably the realm of possibility for a championship at least. Uh, still got some games left though. Notre Dame 44, North Carolina 34. This was good to see. I expected North Carolina to push Notre Dame. Notre Dame ends up winning. They end up covering, but you see how many points they had to score. They had to get into a territory offensively that they really haven't gotten to. Brian Kelly after this game talked about how in retrospect, he wishes that they just would have stuck with Jack Cohn. They, he, I mean, he used the word stupid. We were kind of stupid in trying to do the three quarterback thing. Now that he said it, I'll agree with it. I wouldn't say that otherwise. Too respectful, are we? But Notre Dame, listen to this first half stat. So Tim O'Malley over on Irish Illustrated had a really good pair of stats here. First down in the first half for Notre Dame's offense. 3.76 yards per play. That is on first downs in the first half. So they were not starting drives off well. In the second half, they exploded. 12.1 yards per first down play in the second half. And that changed everything. It's a really good test to me. Because they've still got Navy this week. They go to Virginia, they got Georgia Tech, and they go to Stanford. These are all games that Notre Dame should win. But it was good to see them get pushed a little bit. I know it sounds counterintuitive. But it was good to see that secondary have to face a little stiffer test. We talked last week about the fact that when you lost a big-time player at safety, this was not necessarily the passing game that you wanted to face, but they had to, and they overcame it. They gave up 34, but they overcame it, scored 44 of their own. And now Notre Dame, again, should be favored the rest of the way. Going to be interesting. That's a team that's been left for dead when it comes to the playoff conversation, and yet 
if some dominoes fall, you just never know. That's all I'm saying. You just, you don't know. So I'm, I am not a believer that this thing's all but settled. I do not believe that it'll be a tranquil November at all. And so if Notre Dame keeps winning, for that matter, if Oregon keeps winning, if several of these teams keep winning, you just never know. Three more games very quickly that I wanted to touch on yesterday. Iowa continues to crash back to earth. Wisconsin is a team that I regret not betting on starting a couple of weeks ago because the turnover thing was going to turn itself. You know, Wisconsin, they were the inverse of Iowa. It's actually ironic that those two teams played yesterday. You had one that had benefited from plus turnovers the whole year. You had one that was victimized by minus turnovers the whole year. And as it most times happens, that didn't last all year. It sort of reversed itself now. And when that happens, you see Iowa get blown out because turnovers were all that were separating teams like these. Wisconsin's probably a better team than Iowa on a static, straight up, no turnover evenly played game, but that's not how football works. And so one of them got undefeated way too late in the year. And one of them was already out of the Big Ten race way too early in the year. But yet all you do is change a couple of stats here and there. And that's the reaction, 27 to seven. It just took a little bit too late in the season for Wisconsin to figure that out. Iowa State lost yesterday. Yes, friends, they did. And so the dream has officially died when it comes to Iowa State trying to win the Big 12. I'm going to put it on the shelf. I did not think that that line, they lost to West Virginia, by the way, didn't think the line made a whole lot of sense, but the model thought it did. And so I, I argued with the model last night, not with myself. I cannot be held responsible. It was the model's fault. 38 to 31, though. Neil Brown, I'll tell you, West Virginia went to Iowa State last year. They got smoked. And that's one of the only games that staff felt like they just didn't show up for. And so they were ready for this one, and it showed. They were seven-and-a-half-point dogs. They won the game outright by a touchdown. And then there's Cincy over Tulane, 31 to 12. I've got a theory on Cincy. I'm not going to bore you with it again. I've told you. I think as long as they keep winning, things are going to fall their way, and they will get in. There are wild swinging philosophies on where they're going to be ranked in the initial playoff rankings when they come out Tuesday night. I, well, I don't really care all that much because it's going to sort itself out. I do not believe that they're going to have them at number two or three. I think they're going to be like the, the five, four, five, six range, somewhere like that. I think they're going to be floating right on the fence. Like There are some people who solidly think they'll be top four. There are other people who solidly think they'll be out. I think they'll be right there on the fence. I think it'll be one of those things where that committee can sit there and say, well, I mean, they're right there. You know, let, let's let the games take care of this instead of having us argue about it, even though we're going to do a one-hour special on Tuesday night for just that reason. All right, let's get out of here with Ramen Noodle Express, and then we got business to take care of elsewhere. Here's what's happening. Okay, so the Ramen Noodle Express, depending on which numbers you've gotten, is either at 500 or a little below 500 on the season, which is below, clearly, our standard for where we want to be. Here's the problem. The model has been great this year. I'm choosing the wrong games, so we're going to rectify that. Here's what I'm going to do. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, we went 2-4, and four, yet I went, I want to say, 11-7 and seven in my own personal bets. Washington State was a huge game for us yesterday. I just didn't hand it out. I'm not going to bore you with that. Here's what we're going to do. I may have 10 or 15 games I hand out this week, but so help me. Every game that this model spits out that says is a 58.8% or better cover prob, just a number we like to arrive at, 58.8, I'm handing out. I've already given you four of them tonight, and we are going to have several more because I've already looked at the numbers. We're just waiting on some line moves. 
So here we go. Eastern Michigan plus nine. That is a Tuesday game. They play at Toledo. We are on Eastern Michigan. Central Michigan plus nine and a half. This is a Wednesday game. They are at Western Michigan. We're taking the chips plus nine and a half. There are some plus tens out there. Yes, if you get a better number than me, you shouldn't have to ask. Yes, it is a take. I move on. Uh, Kansas State minus 23 and a half. Get this before it goes above 24. Kansas State minus 23 and a half at Kansas. And USC plus eight and a half. Arizona State is in free fall mode. They have no business laying more than a touchdown in this game. It is a line that is off. We think Southern Cal could win the game outright. So take Southern Cal plus anything above a touchdown. We love eight and a half. So Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, Kansas State, and USC. You got to understand something. If I seem a little bit frazzled tonight, it is because in my childhood, I grew up and I loved the Atlanta Braves. Still do. But that was the fabric of my childhood. So much so that in the summer, I would record the night games on TBS and I would watch them again the next morning. That's right. I watched 18 innings worth of every game they played. And we went to every playoff game and we formulated every scenario come playoff time where we thought they could win it all and they didn't. And it was crushing for me. Took at least most of November and some of December to get over every year. They are 27 outs away from winning a world championship for the first time since 1995. And the game is about to start. So I'm going to be in a very emotional, fragile place for the duration of this evening. Hopefully not past this evening. We almost went to Atlanta tonight. I had Georgia Tech. I'll credit them anyway. Georgia Tech was ready to host the show tonight. We were going to do the show from Atlanta. And I was going to go over and uh, catch the game. Um, I didn't for several reasons, but we almost did that. So what we're going to do now is we're going to wrap the show up. I'm going to ask you humbly one more time, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. We will be back to normal probably, hopefully by Tuesday night because all this will be over. Uh, but until then, thank you for bearing with us on the time changes. Thank you for being with us in general. I'm looking forward to being in College Station, Texas. Either way, this Saturday, I am flying into Houston. And listen, I got nothing against you people. I hope to see some miserable faces in that airport. I hope to see some very sad faces locally. You guys will heal. I've had to do it several times. You got your world championship. Just let me get one. Just let me get mine. So for Director Colin, also a Braves fan, and our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching Late Kick. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.